Hello, I'm Kat. Um, I play guitar and sing. Uh, I'm going to play a hymn that I wrote a few years ago. Um, and I don't really know what the dictionary definition of a hymn is, but it's got the word thou in it, so I guess that changes it from being a regular song. Um, uh, I do poetry and I do music stuff and I have a website and if you want to look at it, you can. But you might have to ask me how to spell my surname because it's really awful. I'll just play. Feel free to close your eyes and stuff as well because that's nice. So may you always rejoice, may my bones resound with a praise-filled voice, for the Lord hath redeemed from the depths of hell. The carpenter Christ loves my soul so well. Joyce, may my bones resound. 
Jesus Christ loves my soul so well. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Kat. That was beautiful. Uh, she is a Kiwi, by the way, if you hadn't, uh, hadn't picked that up as well. So um, jump on her website and check out her uh, other material as well. Thank you. Well, this morning, um, I actually broke my toe. That's why I'm kind of walking around uh, shoeless. I'm looking like my two kids who normally uh, come dressed without any, uh, any shoes on. I've broken my toe, and um, this morning we're going to uh, do a tag. I'm going to tag with uh, Rod because um, uh, I've been taking some uh, fairly strong pain medication, <laughs> which means that... Um, I'm normally not that comprehensible, um, but um, the Panadine 4 would probably make me more incomprehensible than I normally am. So um, I'm going to share for about 10 minutes, recap on what we touched on last week, and then I'm going to hand over to Rod, and I think we're going to just kind of facilitate some conversation around, uh, around the scripture this morning together as a community. Last week, uh, we looked at uh, the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Matthew 5. 6 and 7, which uh, is the core teaching of Jesus uh, in regards to uh, the, the kingdom of God. And in the, those, uh, uh, that 20-minute kind of teaching session that Jesus did, um, he presents to us a, a picture, I think, of, uh, of true beauty. And um, in Matthew 5, 6 and 7... Uh, we're painted a picture of um, this is how those of us who've bought into this radical notion of the kingdom of God, which is God's dream for the world as it should be, that the Sermon on the Mount um, describes how we are best to live. In reality, what the Sermon on the Mount is, it's not just a, a, a a picture of how we are meant to be. But in reality, what Jesus does in, the, in that incredible teaching is he actually gives us a description of himself. That's what the Sermon on the Mount is. It's a picture of the person of Jesus. And that's why uh, the Sermon on the Mount is, um, is so incredibly beautiful because... In those um, verses, Jesus outlines his own character and his own nature. And so we said last week, um, the Sermon on the Mount is, uh, is a picture of beauty. But it's not just a picture of, of beauty. What I also pointed out last week is that the problem with the Sermon on the Mount is that it's also a beast, because in the Sermon on the Mount, what Jesus does is he raises the bar, he sets the standard um, so high that as you begin to engage in that teaching, you realise that none of us can possibly live up to that teaching which Jesus brings. In fact, what the Sermon on the Mount does is it transcends the Ten Commandments. You know, the, 
the, the, the Ten Commandments were uh, focused on, the ex, on external behavior, on, on the things that we do. The problem with the Sermon on the Mount is it does, does, Jesus doesn't just deal with externals. What Jesus does is he engages our heart. And he says things like, um, you have heard, it, uh, heard the law of Moses says, um, do not commit murder. If you commit murder, you are subject uh, to judgment. But I say, if you are angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. And what Jesus does, in, um, particularly in Matthew chapter 5 there, he compares uh, his standard with the law of Moses. And each time, whether it's in regards to uh, 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 minds, in regards to, uh, to sex, he raises the bar. When it comes to the words that we speak, he raises the bar. And, and throughout those chapters, we find um, um, the standard increasingly lifted. And so that's why the Sermon on the Mount is such a beast. I'll quickly go through uh, the, ten, the ten things that I, I kind of see within the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus outlines for us. Number one, he says um, that he calls us to a life of salt and light. That is, he calls us to a life of um, uh, preservation and illumination so that wherever we go, we're to um, act as an anti-corruption agent and that we're to find the darkest of places and go into those spaces in our world and bring light and life. He talks about relational integrity, which outworks itself as us as initiators of reconciliation. Um, which uh, Mandela um, so wonderfully um, uh, encapsulates for us. I think Mandela is uh, a, an example of, uh, of, of kingdom, kingdom life. Uh, thirdly, uh, Jesus talks about sexual purity and covenant keeping. And he talks about truth-telling. Um, he also talks in the Sermon on the Mount about responding graciously to violence and our enemies. He talks about be, us being generous to the poor. These are all characteristics of kingdom life, what it means to live in the kingdom. He talks about our relationship with God being shaped by simplistic and su- succinct prayer and also by spiritual disciplines. And he talks about us also then having a healthy um, relationship or a healthy attitude towards money and possessions. And he suggests that um, we should have money and possessions, but they shouldn't have us. Then he talks about living as though God were present and our source. And he encourages us to shape our understanding of God, frame our understanding of God around God being a loving parent, a loving father. And finally, um, within the Sermon on the Mount, he talks about the need for us to respond well to those who are wrong and to take on a non-judgmental posture in life. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, writing on the Sermon on the Mount, says, If you look at what it really says, you will say, God, save me from the Sermon on the Mount. Take it away. It condemns me. And so the Sermon on the Mount, as I said, is, is both this picture of beauty, a, a, a picture of who we are to be, but ultimately it's a picture of beauty because it, it portrays who Christ himself is. 
And yet it's this, this, it's this awful beast because every time at least I'm confronted with the words of the Sermon on the Mount, it slays me because it's unattainable. And yet it remains the heart of Jesus' teaching on the kingdom. So what are we to do? Are we to kind of avoid it? Uh, Are we to lift it up as an ethical standard um, that we know in our hearts of hearts that we can never, never attain to? What kind of relationship are we to develop and cultivate Um, with Matthew 5, 6 and 7, if we're genuinely committed to living as uh, those who are part of the the kingdom of God. Can we tame this beautiful beast? I believe that um, that the key to understanding the Sermon on the Mount is actually found in the opening sentence of Matthew chapter 5, which is Matthew 5, Verse 3, and if you have your Bibles, would you turn there with me now? You see, if we miss and fail to understand the opening line of the Sermon on the Mount, we will just create a new law. We will just create a new Ten Commandments that that are harder to fulfill than the Ten Commandments that the nation of Israel couldn't walk in the reality of. And so the key to to coming to grips with the Sermon on the Mount and becoming a person that exhibits salt and light, relational integrity, sexual purity and covenant keeping, who is a truth teller, who responds graciously to violence and to our enemies, who's generous to the poor, who develops a healthy relationship with God and has a healthy attitude towards money and possessions, someone who lives as though God is present in our source, and if we're to be someone who responds well to those who are wrong and are non-judgmental, we need to engage and understand the foundation of this uh, this message of Christ. So Matthew 5, verse 3, the key to understanding the beautiful beast is this. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. My, my favourite um, translation of this uh, verse is actually the New Living Translation, which says, God blesses those who realise their need for him. For the kingdom of heaven is given to them. You see, what Jesus does is he actually launches his kingdom teaching by laying the foundation for all that is to come. And what he is actually describing in verse 3 is a posture of the heart. So I find it really difficult. Even though I'm going to have to hobble my way around, I can't... uh, I don't find it easy to sit and talk. You see, most religious thinking operates around the following paradigm. I've done good and I've done bad. And what I've done is I've accumulated deposits to be put into my account before God, but I've also kind of, um, uh, I have debts. And... So I have this withdrawal deposit kind of system before God. 
And I just hope to God that ultimately my, my deposits outweigh my withdrawals. And if I do that, if, my, if my, my good actions outweigh my bad actions, then I will be in right standing or right relationship with God. And yet in this verse here, as Jesus begins to launch on what we've interpreted as an ethical standard that is set so incredibly high, the beginning point of kingdom teaching is this, is that the king, life in the kingdom begins with a profound sense of bankruptcy. And that we don't operate by a deposit and withdrawal system before God. But life in the kingdom begins with a sense of absolute poverty. A sense in which I have nothing to give God or to, or, or to offer God. And it is a, a, an acknowledgement that my relationship with God is never based on what I do do or what I don't do. That my righteousness or our righteousness, that is our right standing before God, is not based on our merit, but it is securely founded on the foundation stone of grace. It begins with an acknowledgement of need. And we not only begin in that place, but our right, rightness before God is sustained throughout our journey with this particular posture or attitude of heart. This is how we deal with that beautiful beast. We don't go on a, on a merit-based system of deposit or withdrawal, but we live in a place of constant bankruptcy in the face of God that acknowledges our need for him moment by moment. Let me just read a statement that I've, in unpacking this, this is how I've kind of, uh, I just need to read it out. The Sermon on the Mount is not a new law or set of rules. It is a picture of our humanity as envisaged by God, patterned after the person of Jesus. A humanity we grow into through a process of grace as we take the time to gaze upon Christ and build upon the foundation of a recognition of our need for God. That, folks, is how we become kingdom people. That is what life in the kingdom looks like. And I will now hand over the baton to Rod. Who has brought his ukulele once again. Thanks, Steve. I'm conscious of the time, so we just very briefly, I just very briefly want um, to get us to think about a couple of questions um, and see if anyone has a reflection on those questions that they want to share. Again, if you do share, let's try to make it brief because, um, yeah, we're, we, have, we don't have that much time. Um, but it, it, in response to what Steve has just said about 
um, the kingdom of God, belonging to those who are aware of their need for God. I wanted to ask us um, how this might look in our community, how it might look in our meetings here, how, how it might look more broadly in our community. Um, when we meet together, how can we remind ourselves that the kingdom of God belongs to the poor in spirit? How can that be woven into the way that we meet together and what we do together? Um, and how might we help ourselves in this community to be people who are always in touch with the fact that they need God, always in touch with our need for God? Um, as I say, just, we've just got a few minutes, but does anyone, as they were listening to Steve, did anyone have any, any thoughts, any um, ways in which they think... We talked last week about grounding these ideas, ways in which they might be grounded in our community. Um, I think a certain level, um, of course you have to negotiate the terms, but I think a certain level of transparency um, is always good. Like I know that with... Um, I've often had times where you sort of get together and um, with friends and like tell a story about how you've been feeling lately or something and they're like, me too. And you're like, oh my gosh, I'm not crazy. Um, <laughs> and I don't know, I think that often like experiences we go through spiritually kind of, if you share that with someone else, like they can relate to it. For example, with the Dark Knight of the Soul series, like I think a lot of people were kind of like, oh, that's normal. <laughs> like, yeah, and, and quite a relief and sort of, yeah, that sharing of stories. I was reading an article this week that talked about um, Søren Kierkegaard um, pointing out humility and courage being the primary characteristics of the Christian life and vulnerability, transparency requires both. So I think practising those kinds of... Practising vulnerability, practising courage and humility... Um, yeah, they, those have to be pivotal to us doing doing that, being a community of the poor in spirit, being honest about our poverty. Anyone else have any thoughts? That's okay. I have one. <laughs> um... I would like to encourage you all to read Luke 18 because I think the whole of it, not now, but I think the whole of it is like a commentary on the kingdom of God, a commentary on the kingdom of, of heaven and what it characterizes, what, what characterizes it. Um, but uh, in a minute, the kids are going to come out and sing us an item. So I had a thought of something that can link this to that, uh, and that is Luke 18 verse 17 or 16 and 17 um, so people are bringing babies to Jesus to have them touch to have him touch them and um, the disciples are trying to stop them from doing that and Jesus said he called the children to him and said let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these I tell you the truth, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And I think being in touch with 
I mean, the idea of being a child to enter the kingdom of God, I think you could unpack that for a lifetime, what that actually means. But I think one aspect of it is that um, children, people are transparent to children. Um, children are blind to, to status, to titles, and that that flattening out of humanity, seeing everyone in this simple sense of their dignity and, and their poverty is a characteristic of having God's eyes for others. It's a characteristic of the kingdom. And I, I was reading this amazing story about Mandela this morning um, where uh, apparently, well, two things about him. Firstly, that he treated his bodyguard, he treated all of his staff with the same level of dignity and respect with which he treated the President of the United States and the Pope. I mean, that to me is a demonstration of that second naivety of wisdom um, that allows you to see everyone as the same. And the other, the other thing that was great is that um, apparently he was the only person, aside from her husband, who referred to the Queen as Elizabeth. I think there's something immensely profound about that blindness to titles, blindness to status, blindness to the things in the world that divide us and that elevate and that push down. And um, yeah, in Luke 18, Jesus talks a lot about those who see themselves as better than others and how that is exactly the opposite way to the way of seeing, of finding the kingdom. Um, and so kids, kids are incredible in the way that they see through things and they see um, the heart. And I guess that is a challenge for us. Can we be a, a community who are poor in spirit, a community who see our need for God, a community who are like children um, in our vulnerability to each other. Um, so Louise is going to get the children um, and I'm going to be a warm-up act. Um, Karl Barth, great Swiss theologian, was asked at one point, um, I think this story is true, it could be apocryphal, it doesn't matter. Um, he was asked how to sum up his theology. He wrote a lot of very, very big books. How do you sum up his theology um, and he, I don't think he actually sang the song, but he answered with the words of a song. So I'm going to sing you that song now um, as a lead up to, um, to the kids coming out. This is a song I sing to Tilly every night because I don't have any idea what I want to teach her, but I, I do know I want to teach her this one thing.
This is um, some of our kids' church. Um, Fitzroy North Community Church has got a very special part of our community and uh, it's been growing and it changes. So some weeks we're lots and some weeks we're few, but I think we started out with just a couple of children. So it's wonderful it's growing and I'm Louise, by the way, and uh, we've got a fantastic team of teachers who, um, on a roster basis, come in and do wonderful things with the children and teach them all about Jesus and God, and we've been doing creation, which was a lot of fun, and um, some beautiful pictures came out of that, and now we're just doing, obviously, Christmas, um, and they've been learning about the wise men and the star and um, the shepherds and all the wonderful, beautiful things. So they're going to entertain you by singing a couple of songs and they may be familiar with you. Um, if, uh, if you want to, you can join in uh, as we sing. And the first one's going to be Away in a Manger.
I believe uh, Rod's um, using Away in a Manger next week as part of your uh, message, is that right? Maybe, but he will be coming from a very different angle. Um, is it true that next Sunday there's going to be a bit of censorship? Um, yeah, yeah. Okay, there's going to be some adult content that should get everybody's uh, juices going. Yeah. Yeah. And the kids are making gingerbread houses, so you don't have to worry. The kids will not be exposed to it. Uh, Peter, up the back there, did you see the result from this morning? Yes, uh, Peter and I are Newcastle United fans, and uh, we beat Manchester United 1-0 last night. So we're rather happy this morning. So on that note, why don't we just stand (laughs) with another good word, another good benediction. And uh, let's close with these words. Loving Father, we thank you for receiving our worship, hearing our prayers, feeding us with your word, and encouraging us in our fellowship. As we leave this place, take us and use us to love and serve you and all people in the power of your spirit and in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. God bless you and enjoy the rest of your day.